Oh, hey guys. Welcome back. It has been almost a year since I red-pilled you to follow me deep down the rabbit hole of mom influencers. And you're still with me. A year ago, I was a new mom for the second time and completely obsessed with the mom influencers that I encountered during my lonely midnight hours scrolling my phone. Who were they? How did they do it? Why was everything so clean and pretty and white? Could I do it too? Is this how I was going to make money in my 40s? And I decided to find out. As longtime listeners know, we discovered that as with all things involving women and moms, influencing was a lot harder than it looked and a lot more precarious as a career. And maybe, just maybe, not so great on the kids. By the end of the season, I threw in my mom influencer towel, just tossed it in the wash. And I also wiped my Instagram clean of my kids, took their faces totally off the gram. And then I took a break. Hey guys, we just finished up getting ready. Actually, it's been like 30 minutes, but so I figured, why not just- But the influencers did not. Like gremlins being fed after midnight, influencers have only multiplied. They're everywhere now. Our 2021 Mrs. Utah America. They are winning beauty pageants. Camas Valley, Hannah Neeleman. Yes, my friends. At Ballerina Farm, that mother of six littles who's living her dream life with her soulmate in the wilds of Utah, she was crowned Mrs. Utah. Round of applause for Ballerina Farm. There are so many influencers right now that we're actually able to start canceling them when they do something we don't like. Come closer. Put your head right here. Come closer. Put your head down here. Act like you're crying really quick. I am crying. A lot of you messaged me about this video. Go like this. No, mom, I'm actually seriously crying. No, I know, but go like this for the video. Like it's this, mom and lifestyle influencer Jordan Cheyenne when she accidentally posted a video where she's coaching her son to cry harder over their sick and dying dog. I don't know, mom, I'm actually crying. It wasn't great. And Cheyenne has since been fully canceled from the influencer verse. We all know that it is a slippery slope from posting your kids to commodifying your kids to making your kids perform for your brand. And that's the kind of story that inspired my break. That, and I also got recognized on the street. Yeah, don't get me wrong, it was kind of a thrill famous. The young woman actually spotted B first. She spotted both B and I. It was in rural Wisconsin, and she was so, so lovely. We took a selfie together. But it also made me realize maybe I'm just a little bit too out there. And that's when I logged off for a bit. But I knew I couldn't stay out forever. I had a book come out last fall. I had to be a brand on the gram. Also, let's be honest. Instagram has infiltrated every single aspect of our lives. It's where we get our parenting advice, our mental health support. It's where a lot of your kids' teachers are getting their lesson plans. It's where women go to get help with their fertility journeys. Instagram has become your therapist, your parenting coach, your recipe book. And in order for me to make an actual living as an author, it's a really important tool for me. Instagram, 
it's everything. But speaking of everything, do you guys know Rule 34 about porn? Rule 34 does sound like the title of a really bad science fiction movie. But Rule 34 for porn is that if a thing exists in the world, there is some kind of porn about it. Like an octopus is a thing in the world. And do not Google it. Do not do it. Right now, I want to propose Rule 35 for influencers. If it exists in the world, there's probably an influencer for it. According to a study from 2020, influencers of all kinds are majority female, with women taking up about 15% more of the influencer space than men. Audiences are also female and femme-dominated. And because there's so many of them, so many of us, it gives women a lot of power that we don't even realize that we have as creators and consumers of all of this content. Because of that, I feel more and more compelled to totally understand it, to try to find both the good and the bad in it, and maybe even help to make it better. I recently talked about this with my good friend and the editor of this show. You all know who she is. The one, the only, the Glennis McNichol. Oh, gosh, it's just, it's so nice to be back on the mic I agree. You. It's nice to see you. So I, I'm, like, curious, how was your break? Was it a break? I took about a two-week break from the gram, but because of my job, I can't get off. I am tethered. It's like an umbilical cord between me and my phone. What I have been pretty serious about is I've wiped the kids' faces off the Instagram, mostly posted like one picture, one or two pictures of them. And that has been awesome. Was it difficult to take them out of your social media presence because they're such a huge part of your identity or was it a relief? So at first it was really hard. At first I felt like, am I really a mom? Like, and I really, I wanted to show, I wanted to perform my momming for people. But now I feel so much more present with them Mm -hmm. because I'm not thinking about posting when I'm with them. I'm like, you can't post. So put your damn phone away. That's fascinating. Yeah. I know. I know. My big takeaway is that I, I don't want social media to dominate their lives. Since we went off the air for last season, there have been so many new studies about how heavy social media use causes an increased risk for depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, suicidal thoughts. According to the Facebook papers, that huge, huge investigation that came out, these guys know that, that Facebook and Instagram are harmful to young girls and no one is doing anything about it. The thing I find really fascinating too is that what mom influencing really demonstrated to us is that this is a world that exists in many ways because it was trying to compensate for an absence of support in the real world. Totally. Why are teachers on Instagram selling other teachers lesson plans and you know ways to cope with being in a classroom during COVID? Well, it's because the educational infrastructure doesn't help teachers cope, but also doesn't pay nearly enough to buy supplies for their classroom. So teachers have to hustle on Instagram. The influencer map on Instagram is really a map of deficiency in the United States and in the world, 
as it pertains to women largely. And, and then you combine that with the addictive nature of social media. And again, it always, as all of our conversations eventually do, leads us back to the question of who is actually making the money here? Who actually has the power? And I think both those questions are, I don't know if they're solvable, but being aware of the answers to them is so important for all of us trying to exist in the year 2022. That's why this season we're digging into that. We're digging into why we go to Instagram for so much support that is not being given to us in other places. And we're still doing all the other stuff. Obviously, we're still doing all the good stuff. We would be bored if we weren't. I mean, I cannot wait to get into the parasocial relationships that people have with their mental health influencers. I mean, this is like, this is some good shit. And do women, and when I say women, I mean like women, all women together as a unified Mm -hmm. body, Mm -hmm. which we rarely are. But if we were, how much power do we have? Because it's actually significant. We have the most power. I mean, imagine for one second, if women stopped using the internet for one day, just for 24 hours. I really feel like if women stopped using the internet, the entire planet would shut down and we would very immediately understand how much power we have. It is funny that you mentioned that, my dear, because I might just have a plan for that. Ooh. (laughs) I'm excited for this season. I think it's gonna be alarming and so juicy. Here we go. Here we go. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the Instagram, I'm here to blow it all up once again. I'm Joe Piazza, and we're all under the influence. Do all of you remember the day back in October when the Earth stood still? Keep calm, everybody. Don't get excited. The spaceship is opening up. Someone is coming out. Okay, so that didn't really happen, but the world did fucking come to a screeching halt for more than five hours. Or at least the world on Instagram and Facebook. Social media giant Facebook and its Instagram and WhatsApp services have been hit by widespread outages. Remember that? I feel like a lot of us just blocked it out. We're like, whoa, that was just a bad dream. But yes, due to some kind of crazy techie glitch, for about five hours, all the Facebook platforms, which included Instagram and WhatsApp, just went down. Facebook's three billion users unable to access the site for most of the day. People like me who've been trying to get off social media learned exactly what it would feel like if it weren't our choice. If we were just forced off of all of it. If all of these platforms just went poof. I was losing my mind because it actually shut down 24 hours before my novel was due to come into the world. How the fuck was I supposed to launch a book when there was no Instagram? 
But at the end of the day, it was fine. It came back. We did the book stuff. We did the tour. I was going to be fine. The people who were allowed to freak out were the ones who thought their entire livelihood was about to go straight to hell in a handbasket. The people who make their living off the Instagram. The influencers. There was some confusing technical explanation over how and why the blackout happened. But those five hours, they taught us a few things. Chief among them is just how precarious this industry that is very, very dependent on a single company that is not looking out for people's interests actually is. This company doesn't give content creators a safety net healthcare, a pension. If Instagram and Facebook go down for good, these jobs cease to exist. And for a lot of people, that's going to be devastating. I mean, shit show is the word that I would use to describe it. That's Bridget Todd. You may remember that we talked to her in season one for our episode about race and influencers. Bridget is a digital activist, podcaster, and content creator, and her main professional goal in life is to make the internet and the entire world a better place for women. I called her right after the Instagram went poof to ask what this made her realize about our relationship to these platforms and also to the tech billionaires who control them. When Facebook went down back in October, it was such a small glitch that took them down. It really brings up the question, should this global billion-dollar entity that has so much control over our commerce, our businesses, our communication, our global communications with, with family overseas, should they be able to be taken down by a tiny glitch? And what happens when it's not a tiny glitch? What happens when it's a bigger glitch? What happens when it's out for a week, a month? Is this really what we want as we go forward? The whole system is so corrupt and immoral and when Instagram went down, I could only think of myself as a cog in this system with no real way of escape. It was really eye-opening. I know, right? Mostly women creators are just making content that is fueling ad sales for these companies. I mean, we're making we're making the the like, you know, the stuff that all of the, the more sales can run on. You know, the majority of Facebook's bottom line comes from us, just regular users. We are the ones who make up, I think it's 92% of Facebook's revenue. And so when you break down how many of those people are women, uh, women and femmes, that is a big line item. And so I think right now we're in this space where tech billionaires and the people who build these platforms do not feel in any way they need to be accountable to us. But that's actually incorrect. And so if we as women united together and said, hey, listen, until we are treated better, until these platforms value us, not just as users, not just as more money in their accounts, but as actual people, we're not going to be on them. We could absolutely impact their bottom line. Totally. Totally. I want to show all of the men in charge of social media how much power women have. I think it's more important for women to realize how much power we have. Women do have power. Look at the influencer economy, e-commerce, all of those like billion dollar industries, the lifeblood and the life force of them are women, women content creators, women audiences, women social media users. And so it only empowers the mostly male tech billionaires who are in charge when women don't see that power. When women are just think thinking, oh, I'm just one Instagram user. I'm just a mommy blogger. I'm just an influencer. Every time you hear that in your head, 
Mark Zuckerberg is making another million, right? And so when we own our power, the power that we have collectively, only then will we be able to really present a kind of threat that I think can make a better change and make a more equitable, you know, feminist internet. A more feminist internet. Wouldn't that be nice? Hmm. But how in this universe could we even start to get there? Ever since the day that the internet stood still, I've been wondering. How the hell can we show the world exactly how valuable women are on the internet? How all of us, how much power we have? Well, we mentioned something in our final episode of season one that gave me a little bit of an idea. On October 24th, 1975, 90% of women in Iceland went on strike. They didn't do housework, they didn't buy anything, they didn't participate in the economy, and they shut it all the fuck down. People in Iceland still look back on that day as the day the entire country started paying better attention to women and the work that they do. Imagine if all of us went off social media for just one day. We would destroy it. We would destroy the entire system. Maybe that's something we should do in season two. Today, I want to talk about this one massively huge event in the history of women's labor movements that you've probably never heard of. Hello, Erla. How are things in Iceland right now? They're just fine. Thank you. It's all going upwards now with the COVID and everything. Yeah, so we're going to Iceland. Not physically, of course. We decided not to ruin Iceland's COVID recovery with my gross American germs. <coughs> I miss Iceland. Last time I was there, my taxi driver told me that he was Bjork's cousin. <laughs> and I didn't know if that was a joke that they tell every American that comes in their taxi. Well, not necessarily. You never know. He might be. <laughs> That's Erla. She's got a very long and complicated, but very beautiful Icelandic last name. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. My name is Erla Hilda Haldarsdóttir. I'm a professor of history uh, at the University of Iceland. Uh, and my expertise is women's and gender history. So yeah, women and gender are my thing. She's not here to fact check if I really met Björk's cousin, but she is here to tell us about a spectacular event in her country's history that completely changed how the entire country of Iceland viewed women. The Women's Day Off. The Women's Day Off was a strike. It was a strike by all the women in Iceland that made everyone who lived in Iceland, women and men, wake the hell up to how much women mattered to the country's economy. What was the Women's Day Off and why did it happen? The original idea was that women should go on a strike. So one of the things they had to decide on was if it should be a strike or a Women's Day Off. And as you can Imagine there were very different views uh, on that. Mm-hmm. I'll bet. I'll bet there were. Because the word strike holds such... Yeah. It can hold such negative connotations, right? Yes, exactly. And and the more uh, radical groups and many women workers, they wanted to call it a strike. That it should be a strike. Otherwise, it wouldn't have any 
effect. But in the end, women agreed on calling it a day off. Then everyone, both the more conservative and the radical, could agree on we call it a day off. And as a matter of fact, it, it turned out to be a success. There's amazing radio and video footage that exists from this event. And watching it, it looks like it was a party, like a real rager. The crowds completely fill up Reykjavik streets. There's a big stage where women are giving speeches. And suddenly everyone just erupts in song. It was a great event that uh, had much effects on many women, both in Reykjavik and all around the country, where there were smaller uh, events going on. What is so remarkable about this event is that the purpose was for social change. More than for passing equal rights laws or establishing legal protections, the women who marched and protested really just wanted to change the way men thought about women in their work. Let's say they were dissatisfied, very dissatisfied about their position in society, because even though they had been granted all civil rights quite early on in the early 20th century, there were still, you know, these glass ceilings and barriers that women faced in the form of ideologies and and just how people thought. People thought that women should be mainly mothers and, and housewives. That was their main role in society. So... Iceland being represented as feminist paradise today, the land of equality, it has not very long historical roots. You sent me a document that says, why a day off for women? Yeah. And I'm, I'm reading these reasons and I'm actually tearing up while reading them. Things like, because it's commonly said about a housewife, she isn't working, mm-hmm. just keeping house. Because when someone is needed for a badly paid, low-status job, the advertisement specifies a woman. Because whether an applicant for a job is male or female is often considered more important than education or competence. And I think about so many of those things, and there's still problems in America today. Did your day off actually fix anything there? I think we can say it did have uh, positive effects on institutions, on government, and on women's own self-esteem. And in fact, when Vigdís Fimbúadóttir, former president of Iceland, was elected president in 1980, she has said that she would not have had the courage to do that unless... She had experienced this power and how women could stand together. That former president that Erla just mentioned was also the first female president in all of Europe. So yeah, you can say that the Women's Day Off really did accomplish a lot. What I think is so interesting about the Women's Day Off is that it focused so much on the economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marching is great. Protesting is great. But unless you're costing someone money, it is hard to make them pay attention to you, especially men. Do you think that the fact that they stopped contributing to society in lots of ways, you know, working, but then housewives were also like, I'm not doing the work I do in the home. Is that what started to spur the change? 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think it it really matters uh, because if you just think about, you know, institutions like banks, so many of the clerks were women. So when they went to the celebrations and to the demonstration during the day off, who had to do this work? Well, the bank managers. Well, the, this value of women's work, what they were doing, it was a very important part of the bank's And as for the homes, the grand narrative about the day says that all hot dogs were sold out in Iceland because you just put them in hot water and they're ready in minutes. And that was what every father was cooking for the children. The stores ran out of hot dogs. They ran out of hot dogs because it was all that the dads could cook. I love this detail so much. But the fathers learned about more than just food. They learned about childcare too. At the Icelandic uh, Broadcasting Service, the TV, there were quite many young men working there then, and they took the children with them to work. And they set up a, a kind of kindergarten <laughs> there. And some of them always had to look after the children while the others were working. So they felt it very much too, that they depended on women's work, whether it was their wife or, or just women doing all kinds of work in society, as in, in supermarkets, as in uh, kindergartens uh, or, or all these institutions. Kindergarten in Iceland refers to daycare. And today the country has very good, very subsidized daycare facilities that a child starts at one years old after the year of government mandated parental leaves. Oh, fuck you, America. Needless to say, there is so much that we can learn about this in 2022. Of course, as a historian, I always think it's good to know a bit <laughs> about history and, and how much women that came before us, how much they did do to create opportunities and spaces for us who are living and breathing now, allowing us to do the things we have dreamt of. And, and that's why it's also important for, for us to, to continue this work and secure the future of younger women and those who, who will come. Let's make Erla proud. Let's make all of Iceland proud. In fact, let's make Iceland look at us as a feminist utopia. You evil laugh here because that's never going to happen. But it could if we all work together. When we get back from a break, we are going to figure out how to apply the lessons learned from the Women's Day Off in Iceland to our goal of showing women just how much power they control on the internet. We're just inching our way, baby steps, closer and closer to the feminist internet. Based on everything that I learned from Erla and from talking to Bridget, I now have this little idea. And it might be crazy. It's probably freaking crazy. But it also might be totally genius. I think I'm ready to start sharing about this plan, to start sharing it with the world. Of course, first I went back to Glynis, and then I had to fill her in on the whole Icelandic Women's Day Off bit. Of course, she found it just as inspiring as I do. 
We have so much power. We have so much power. And women on the internet as content creators, but also as consumers of content, we hold all the fucking power. Yeah. And it is time for us to see it. Yeah. To show everyone else. Yeah. And to finally talk about it. I think, number one, it's time for us to see it because the second you realize you have that much power, it becomes you stop asking permission to exercise it and start telling people what you're going to do with it is hopefully the hopefully the outcome of this. So I'm going to announce right here that we are going to declare the Women's Day off the Internet. We're going to talk to every influencer we know, every content creator we know, every woman we know that buys nap dresses on the Internet. So we need to decide what day we want women to take off the internet. And I'm going to pose that question to our social media accounts. We're not going to announce it today. My God, wouldn't it be great if it was Black Friday? That would really fuck oh up God, everybody. Oh God, that would really fuck up the world. Yeah. Let's fuck up the world, Glynis. Or it could be Boxing Day, which is the day after Christmas, although that's not such a big deal in the so States. So Canadian. Uh, it's British, but yes, Canadians do it too. Or it could be Amazon Prime Day. Which is when? I don't know. For all women to stop using Amazon as like a labor protest would be... Yeah. So we've got, I mean, we've got a lot of work to do. That's we're, we're doing work this season. Of course, now to make this work, I'm going to have to talk to a lot of people and convince a lot of people to maybe not make money for a day because everyone has to be on board. Everyone has to be on board if we're going to do this. I went back to Erla to see what insights she had. So one of the reasons that we're digging into this is because we're this podcast is about women who create content on the internet, who create Instagram content and Facebook content and TikTok content. They're called influencers here, and it's an it's an actual job uh, that we think is very discounted. And frankly, they're the engines that make a lot of the internet run. Some of them make very, very good money, but a lot of them are just getting by. They certainly have no social safety net, no child care, no health care. And I'm curious if we talk about a woman's day off for all women that create content on the Internet, if men will finally recognize that women are doing so much work. Uh. Uh, well, that's a fascinating question, really, and, 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 um, and thought, because, yeah, I, I think that... People would surely see that and and feel on their skin how how much work these women are doing. Yeah, we'll see if this works. Yeah, I'm definitely definitely inspired by by the the work that all of the women have done over there. And you know, it's it's an uphill battle for all of us. We're all still. I feel like now we're working five times as hard to get you know five inches of progress these days. But perhaps I should also add, because I just wanted to say that the the Women's Day of was a success, but of course not all women participated, because some of them, they were frustrated. They didn't want to take part. They thought it was all some fuss and, and women making noise and trouble, and they didn't want to participate. And they felt, they decided, some of them, just to stay at home in order to... Uh, reject those feminist ideas. So they stayed at home and then there were women, for instance, just like my mom, who was uh, a farmer's wife in the countryside, she had no chance of chance of going anywhere to celebrate. Someone had to do the work because my father was away working 
in the slaughterhouse in the in the nearest town because they had to earn some more money so it's just to just to uh, add that not all women who had the chance to participate and not all women who who were willing to do it but in the aftermath and as the years go by many women wish they had participated because it has become a part of the mainstream history of of feminism in in Europe in the 1970s and of course when you look back you would like to have been a part of it <laughs> you never know how history turns out no you don't but it is worth noting that for a lot of women being able to take off is a privilege it so is it it is hard for everyone to say no because when you have to support your family and as women i think that we know this a lot of times better than men you're going to do what you have to do yeah these are difficult times erla has given me so much to think about here this is just one of the reasons that we're going to go so deep into the different kinds of women's work on the internet this season and how their work is both visible and invisible online if this is going to work this grand plan to make the internet more feminist to create a feminist utopia on the internet we really need to see the scope of what women do and then figure out how the majority of women all women from all classes can take part so here's my plan our plan we're calling for a women's day off the internet one day one day when women say fuck it fuck you i won't create content I won't buy things that are sold to me on Instagram and in fact I will not buy anything on the internet. I will not tweet, I will not gram, I will not post, I will not story, I will not talk. I'm sure there are other words that I can make fake verbs out of. What'll happen? What'll happen if women actually do it? Will it be like the day when the Instagrams went dark? Will the internet be filled with the hot dogs of internet content? which i believe to be dick and fart jokes and cat memes. First i decided to go back to Bridget Todd and ask if she would join me. Will you join me in the women's day off the internet? Well, you know why, man. If we all together collectively get off of Facebook for just 3 days, we can really hit their bottom line and show them that we are a force to be reckoned with. I am really kind of excited because I feel like as someone who's been talking a lot about how awful these platforms are, I think that we're at a time right now like never before where people are listening thanks to whistleblowers like Sophie Zong and Frances Hagen. I think that people are finally starting to see Hey, we can't just have every year a new Mark Zuckerberg or Sheryl Sandberg apology saying, "Oh, we're sorry, we didn't know, we didn't know, we didn't know." Um, at a certain point, you know. And so what's the next question? You can't just keep apologizing and not changing. And I think that the public is starting to see that these companies, we are their lifeblood and they need to be accountable to us. I think that these days we are seeing people really understand their power as people who use the internet. You may not have a computer science degree, but you don't need one to know what your own experience online is like. We are powerful. We are a force. And so, you know, I don't necessarily trust tech billionaires to do the right thing, but I trust in our power to force them to do the right thing. 
All right, we'll do something fun that day. We can go on a road trip that day. We can go to the Catskills that day. We'll go fishing and we'll all wear nap dresses that day. <laughs> yes, I picture myself in like an ankle length nap dress and like some bloodstone boots, uh, you know, out chopping wood, just being, being one with nature. Everything that Bridget said was complete gold. She's totally right. Keeping things as they are and maintaining the status quo is not going to be good for anyone. The status quo sucks. That is a thing we need to say out loud way more than we already do. As Glennis also mentioned earlier, we know that social media can be bad for us. But no one's doing anything about it. Next week, we have an episode that completely blew my mind. We are going to talk about exactly what we're risking when we're on Instagram. The dangers to ourselves, our mental health, and even our families. The last two years were just a lot of reflection and trying to figure out what I really wanted to get out of Instagram. And the short answer to that was fucking nothing. If you post a picture of your child online and it reaches even one other person who chooses to repost it, other people could still find that image. They gave us new names. They gave us basically new personalities. They obviously made it look like I ran the account as the mom. And they had a story highlight for each of us. It was this thing called role play that I had no idea existed. Told you it was fucking crazy. I'm Joe Piazza, and I could not be happier that you were under the influence. Under the Influence is hosted and reported by me, Joe Piazza. Our senior producer is Emily Marinoff. Glynis McNichol is our editor. Abu Zafar is our producer. We got additional production help from Aaron Peterson, and our associate producer is Lauren Phillip. Sound design and mixing from Jackie Huntington. Our theme and additional music was composed by Jessica Kreinchich. Anna Stumpf is our consulting producer, and she's also one of my favorite people in the whole world. And we are executive produced by me, Joe, and Nikki Tor. <laughs> <laughs>